In church, as followers of Jesus, we want to follow the Master. We want to walk with the Master. And as we do so, we want to learn from the Master. And so we have been tracing his life, his mission, his ministry as recorded in Mark's gospel. So let me invite you to take the scriptures with me uh, again today. Open up God's word to Mark chapter 3 as we continue our series, The Gospel of Mark. Waking up to Jesus. If you don't have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to use one of the few Bibles and to follow along. If you're using a few Bible, uh, the Gospel of Mark begins on page 812, I believe, and we are in chapter 3. So uh, as you find your place there in Mark's Gospel, let me encourage you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Scriptures read this way, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. And Father, we do acknowledge this morning that we believe in you, that we desire to know you more and more. And Father, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken through your word. We ask now that you would lead us by the presence and the power of your spirit and rightly understanding the truths of your word and applying them to our lives as followers of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. When I read uh, this text, when I read this portion of this text and Jesus appointing uh, the 12, my mind went back to second grade uh, math races on the chalkboard. And I don't know if that's something that uh, you participated uh, in, but church, I loved those. Uh, I'm terrible at math now, uh, but when I started out, I was either pretty good at it or thought I was pretty good at it, Uh, not sure which. Uh, But how fun would it be for us this morning to have a little competition uh, as we begin, a a little race of sorts, uh, to see who can list all 12 disciples the fastest uh, and spell them correctly uh, in the process. So everybody take out uh, your pen and paper. Everybody ready for this? Uh, I'm kidding. Sort of. Some of you are going to do that anyway on your own. Go for it. Well, though some of these names sound rather complex uh, to us. Uh, some of them are common names for us. Others are uh, very complex sounding names and looking names to us. The truth is uh, that they are common people that they were common people, that Jesus calls common people. Jesus calls common people. And by that, uh, I don't mean that uh, there was nothing unique about them. Certainly, you know as well as I do that no two people in God's creation are just alike. We are all different, different personalities, different DNA, different background, different experience. But what I mean by common is that nobody, absolutely nobody, Uh, would have uh, believed that this would be the group that Jesus chose uh, to be his right-hand men as the Messiah. 
four, four fishermen from Galilee. One, a political activist. Another, a hated tax collector. And the other six, we know practically nothing about. There were no priests in this group as we might would have expected. These were laymen. They were non-professionals. There wasn't a preacher among them or an expert in the scriptures among them. No one had a degree in theology or public speaking or social work. And yet these are the ones that Jesus called and chose to be his disciples who ultimately would be the ones through whom he would establish and build his church. See, Jesus calls common people. Unlike the typical Pharisee, Uh, of his day, Jesus mingled and associated with the lowly, with the outcast, with the despised. Remember Luke, or not Luke, Mark chapter 2, verse 15 that we covered a couple weeks ago. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors were hated by the Jews and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who, who followed him. Friends, don't ever think that you are not good enough to follow Jesus because the invitation is open to whosoever will repent and trust in Jesus for salvation. Whosoever will come to, to him. We see that Jesus calls common people, evidenced by the 12 that he chose, but also uh, evidenced by the masses, by the crowds. Jesus, because of his association with the lowly, with the masses, drew criticism from the elite, drew criticism from the religious leaders. We've seen this in Mark's gospel. We see it throughout the gospels. We'll see it time and time uh, again. And just as they opposed Jesus, they also opposed his followers. In fact, when the church is spreading after Jesus ascends back into to heaven, hear, the, uh, hear the, the, uh, the remarks of the religious rulers in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw, when the religious rulers of the day saw the courage of Peter and John. And they saw the courage of Peter and John, two of those fishermen, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus calls common people, evidenced by uh, the disciples, also evidenced by the masses who uh, flocked to him, to, to whom he welcomed into his presence. In fact, we continue the story here in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So here's Jesus back in Capernaum in a home, likely the home of Peter and Andrew, And the crowds hear that this miracle-working Jesus is back in town, and they want some more of him. They flock to where he is, so much so that he and his disciples cannot even eat. Have you ever wondered what it was like to be closely associated with somebody famous? For all you golfers uh, out there, uh, Kenny Perry, anybody know of Kenny Perry, I would imagine a few that uh, are into golf. Kenny Perry is a, uh, has, has been a successful golfer from Kentucky. He's now, I think, on the senior uh, tour. But 
Kenny Perry is a long lost cousin of mine. He's like my fourth uh, cousin, and that's my claim to fame. Uh, now, that's not very impressive at all, because if you were to ask him, I don't think he has a clue who I am. But can you, can you imagine what it would be like to be uh, Michael Jordan's childhood friend, uh, or Elvis's daughter, or Oprah's cousin, or you name the celebrity and some association with them? Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been in the family of Jesus. Well, here the crowds flock to Jesus as Peter reminisces on this day, and Peter was likely Mark's eyewitness source to these events. As Peter is telling Mark about this day in Capernaum and the crowds gathering in on his home and surrounding Jesus so much so that Jesus cannot even cannot even eat. We have no indication here that that Jesus is too upset about this. But as we continue the story, we see that his family is. Look back at the text, verse 21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. Verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So don't miss what is happening here. The common people, the masses, the disciples, people of no reputation are drawn to Jesus, captivated by Jesus, and yet the very ones who should have been the most likely to recognize Him and to support Him and to support His mission and His ministry, His family, and the religious leaders are the very ones who reject Him. Church, the credentialed regularly Reject Jesus. Well, Jesus extends the call and the invitation to the common folk, to the masses, the unlikely to follow Him. It is often the likely, the credentialed who reject His ministry and His mission and His identity. And right here in this passage of Scripture, we see the three reasonable responses to Jesus according to C.S. Lewis and uh, other apologists throughout the years. And if you were here last week, you know that I referenced Lewis's words in Mere Christianity when he urged uh, everyone to consider the identity of Jesus and to come up with a reasonable response. And according to Lewis, uh, 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 merely a great human or moral teacher is not a reasonable response for, for no great man who was merely a man would have claimed the things that Jesus did. And so Lewis says that he must either be a madman, a crazy person, someone confused about his own identity, or he must be the devil himself, attempting to deceive others, or, third option, he is who he says he is. He is Lord and he is God. He is Lord, he is liar, or he is lunatic. And don't miss it, right here in the pages of Scripture, we read that his very own family... His flesh and blood, those who knew him the best, determined that he must be a lunatic. He must be crazy. Jesus has lost his mind, they're thinking, and we need to go and rescue him. We need to go seize him before this gets out of control. And so they plan to leave their home in Nazareth, some 20 miles away, and go and seize Jesus and take him back, back home. Obviously, he's not thinking straight, and he needs 
an intervention. I can remember a time in my family's life when uh, my uh, parents, my mom especially, and and her uh, sisters and brother uh, had to intervene uh, in my grandpa's life. I wouldn't tell this story if uh, grandpa was still here, but he has been with the Lord for several years now, and so I think it's okay. But uh, grandpa was a good man. He was a uh, a man who, who loved the Lord, who loved his church, who loved his family, who wanted to serve others. He was a strong leader, uh, and he was a strong-willed leader. Uh, he knew what he wanted, and he didn't want anyone to get in his way. And Grandpa, in his latter years, uh, drove a 1980s Ford Crown Victoria. Anybody uh, remember those? And he drove a Ford Crown Victoria for uh, quite a number of years. And one day, he's out driving... And during daylight hours, he takes out a hefty uh, red brick mailbox not too far from where uh, Grandpa and Grandma lived. And knowing at this point that he is already riding on thin ice, Grandpa goes out and he purchases a comparable, uh, you guessed it, 1980s Ford Crown Victoria before sundown, thinking that he can slip this right past his family and friends. Well, it didn't take too long, and uh, somebody picked up on uh, this and intervened uh, for the sake of neighborhood joggers and walkers and cyclists and other pets roaming the neighborhood. Now, that may be a, a comical story, but I think that begins to get at the picture portrayed here in Mark's gospel related to the way Jesus' own family thought of him. They thought he must have lost it. He's no longer thinking straight, and, and we need to step in. We need to do something about this. And we know from the Scriptures, theirs was not the only opposition to the mission and ministry, the identity of, of Jesus, the, Jesus, the teachers of the law, verse 22, the experts in the Scripture also opposed Jesus. They didn't call him a lunatic. They called him a liar. In fact, they called him the chief of liars. They called him the devil himself. It must be that he is casting out impure spirits. It must be that he's casting out demons because he is the prince of of demons. Jesus was so far from their desire and expectation for a Messiah that, that he must be in cahoots with Satan. We turn to his response to them in Mark chapter 3, verses 23 and following. So let's look back at the text. So Jesus called them over to him, that is the teachers of the law, and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself, And is divided, he cannot stand, his end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Mark says he said this because they were saying he has... An impure spirit. 
So Jesus turns to the teachers of the law and responds to their accusation through a couple parables. And he debunks their argument. He debunks the logic of their, of their uh, accusation. Satan cannot be uh, divided against himself or he'll destroy his own kingdom. Jesus cannot be casting out uh, Satan's uh, uh, representatives um, as Satan or else he would be working towards his own demise. And then Jesus goes on and he says that the sin that they have entered into by accusing Jesus of working under the devil's power or of being the devil himself is the most serious sin of all. Verse 28, truly I tell you, the phrase that we see again and again in Mark's gospel signifying the authority that Jesus had to tell the truth, to speak the truth. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. That's Jesus' response to those who accuse him of being Satan. The good news, the good news of the gospel that Jesus echoes here is that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, the Son of God and Savior of the world has come to lay down his life as a sacrifice of atonement for sins. And whosoever comes to him, whosoever confesses their sins and turns to Jesus for salvation will be forgiven. Be forgiven whatever sins they bring. But the one who denies the Spirit's witness concerning the identity of the Son of God, concerning the identity of Jesus Christ, will not be forgiven. That's Jesus' response. As we continue, we hear the response of Jesus to the concerns raised by his own family. Verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. They show up. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now these sound like some harsh words from Jesus. I'm confident they would have sounded rather harsh in his own day for good Jews took care of their family. Particularly as the firstborn son in this family, Jesus had a responsibility to make sure that his mother was provided for. She may have already been a widow at this time. But Jesus is not ridiculing his family. He's not distancing himself entirely from his family. He still loves and cares for his family as we see throughout other points in the message of the Gospels. But what Jesus is saying is that his allegiance to his Father in heaven is greater than his allegiance and his responsibility to his family on earth. He's saying that faithfulness to his heavenly Father to redeem a lost people who are dead in sin supersedes any other mission and allegiance that he has on this earth. In fact, furthermore, his mission 
The mission that Jesus came to fulfill, to accomplish, expands His family by inviting whosoever will to come and to be a part of it. Church, whoever believes receives kinship to Christ. Whoever believes the witness of the Spirit and the witness of the Scriptures concerning the identity of Jesus Christ, whoever believes receives kinship to Jesus Christ. Friends, that is the gospel. That is the invitation that has been and is extended to us to repent and believe in Jesus, to enter into the family of God and to receive a permanent status, a never-ending position, to receive new birth, new life as a child of God, adopted into the, the family of the Most High God picture that we were privileged to see in the early service this morning through believers baptism identifying with Jesus Christ displaying before others truth of coming to Christ of being reborn in Christ to a new position a new status an eternal status through Jesus Christ our Lord Jesus doesn't seem to be too upset too concerned here in Mark chapter 3 about the fact that he's had to skip a meal or delay a meal. For he's working for food that endures to eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 27. And when asked, when asked by the crowds and the disciples in John's gospel, well, what is the work of God? Jesus responds this way. He says, this is God's work to believe in the one he has sent. John chapter 6, verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. Let me ask you this morning, have you believed in the one He has sent? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus? Have you turned to Jesus for life and salvation? Are you following after the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you kin to Christ? Are you part of His family? Does Jesus claim you as His own? Though we are flawed, selfish sinners, Jesus claims us as His own. Friends, disciples are Christ's kinfolks. Disciples, believers in Jesus, those who have surrendered to Jesus and desire to follow after Him and recognize His Lordship and live for Him, students of the King, disciples are Christ's kinfolks. Adopted into the family of God. Church, I'm convinced that today's text ought to beckon every single one of us to examine our own lives and our own hearts before God. And ask ourselves, are are we kin to Christ? Have we been adopted into the family of God through faith in Christ? In Jesus, today's text is a warning to people just like us. So let's heed Christ's warning to us. Let's heed His warning. For if Jesus' earthly family, those who surely knew Jesus, and if the teachers of the law, those who surely knew the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, the, the best of all, if folks like that, 
could miss the identity and the mission and the ministry of Jesus Christ, then surely, surely church folks who know the stories of the Bible and who sing songs from the hymnal could, could miss the mission and the identity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world. Church, let's heed Christ's warning to us. For Christ himself said, recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Oh, it's not everyone who claims to know me really knows me, but only the one who lives for me. What is this will of the Father in heaven? The will of the Father, as John has told us in chapter 6, verse 29, is to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. So let's believe in the one he has sent. And when you do, friends, give God glory for your salvation. Give God the glory for your salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's by grace. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor and kindness and blessing of God. Not from ourselves. It's the gift of God. The truth is that it's not enough to be smart enough or gifted enough or good enough, but God's grace is enough. And how can this truth, how can this pericope, how can this passage and the truths conveyed in it here in God's Word not prod us to patient, passionate evangelism? For if Jesus' own family accused him of insanity, and if the religious leaders of his they dismissed him as the devil. How can we not fall on our, our faces before the throne of God and give him thanks for the gift of faith? Give him thanks for the gift of salvation. The truth is that no disciples are self-made. Salvation is ultimately a work of God. How can we not give him thanks for what he has done in our lives? And how can we not spread the message of the gospel with a passionate zeal, inviting others to join the family, inviting others to come alongside us and know the King of kings and Lord of lords and live forevermore with Him. Otherwise, otherwise, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Friends, if we believe the words of Christ, if we really believe the words of Jesus Christ, then we must we have no choice. We must. We must long to share Jesus patiently and persistently. Share Jesus patiently yet persistently. Knowing that we are only saved by the grace of God. And the truth is, the greatest motivator to evangelism is, is knowing the riches of God's grace in our own lives. Two first century followers of Jesus recognized this grace and spent their lives sharing this grace with others. Paul and Barnabas, two disciples, two followers of Jesus, two men forgiven by the grace of God, set out as the church 
commissioned them across the Mediterranean Sea and into modern-day Turkey, sharing the good news of Jesus everywhere they went. In fact, I want you to see this. I know you, you note-takers, you've got all your, your blanks filled in, but turn with me one last place here, Acts chapter 13, and we'll conclude here. Acts chapter 13. So Paul and Barnabas have sent, been sent out, and they've crossed the sea. They enter into the town of Poseidon Antioch, and they enter the synagogue on the Sabbath where other devout Jews and converts to Judaism are worshiping. And as was not uncommon in the day, synagogue leaders and rulers invited these guests uh, to give a word of exhortation. And so Paul stands up and he preaches the gospel. And here's the response. This is what happens. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 42. Scriptures read, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. They invited them to come back, share again. Verse 43, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Invited back to speak the next week, but then others wanted to hear more. So they followed Paul and Barnabas around, and Paul and Barnabas kept encouraging them toward the gospel of Jesus. And verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. You know as well as I do that the message of the scriptures often encounters various responses. Some oppose it vehemently. Others believe it wholeheartedly and still others need to hear it repeatedly. And so Paul and Barnabas, led by the Spirit, took advantage of every platform God gave them to share the truth of God's word. And likewise, church, we must do the same. Every opportunity God gives us, let's share the good news of salvation in Christ patiently yet persistently, inviting others to join the family of God. For Jesus calls common people. Let's extend the invitation. The credentialed regularly reject the truth about Jesus. Let's heed the warning. And believers receive kinship to Christ. Let's join the family. Can you imagine what it is like to be in the family of Jesus? I can. I can. I am. What about you? Lord, we give you thanks for your grace in our lives. We give you thanks for being a God who provides for our needs. We give you thanks for being a God who is with us and, Lord, who invites us to to enjoy you, to know you, and to enjoy you forever through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We give you praise as the almighty creator of the universe, the giver of life, the sustainer of life, and the redeemer of life through Jesus. And Lord, we acknowledge this morning that despite our sin, you love us with an unfailing love. You call us to know you and to walk with you and to be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would, that we would respond faithfully to the call. 
Lord, that we would follow Jesus fully, daily, with a servant's heart, with a a desire to give praise to your name. Lord, lead us now as we respond to the truths of your word. Hear our praise, hear our prayers. Forgive us our sins. Lead us to Christ, and it's in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen.